0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. You may not know her name, but Odetta was one of the most influential singers of the 20th century. And I'm so happy to be able to introduce her to you this episode with the help of our guest, Ian Zack, a music journalist who has written the first in-depth biography of Odetta, the voice of the civil rights movement, and the queen of American folk music, in Martin Luther King Jr.'s own words. Miles. I only got to know her songs a few years ago, and frankly I feel robbed for the time that I wasn't listening to her alongside the rest of the folk music pantheon. Honestly, listening to her now in the middle of a pandemic that's exposing all the fault lines in our society might be the best time to hear her incredible voice and her incredible message. That's assuming, of course, that you weren't around for her heyday in the civil rights movement. That was obviously the best time because you could have seen her sing at the 1963 March on Washington or the March on Selma or name your civil rights or labor event. I'm so pleased to welcome her biographer, Ian Zack, onto the show to talk about his new book, Odetta, A Life in Music and Protest. Thanks for talking to me, Ian.
1: I'm delighted.
0: So what really shocks me about Odetta's life is that it's taken so long for a biography to come out solely about her, um, given just like the enormous stature she had in the world.
1: Yeah, you know, I think of her as a a linchpin kind of artistic figure who has been overlooked in the pantheon. Starting with the music, it's hard to find a a folk or a folk rock singer from the 1950s through the 70s who wasn't influenced or inspired by her. Harry Belafonte, Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Janis Joplin, Carly Simon, the list goes on. And then, as you said, she also played an important role in the civil rights movement and in the shaping of black culture generally in that era. And yet there was relatively little known about her. And that's what I set out to find out about when I did this book.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing to hear the list of folk singers who credit her as an influence or an inspiration and not hear her name mentioned alongside them. You know, Bob Dylan apparently even said that she was the inspiration for throwing away his electric guitar in favor of his acoustic. So how does Odetta fit in with the folk singers of the time and after?
1: Well, she came first. You know, she was, uh, she was the queen of folk music in the late 1950s. She was filling up concert halls and big auditoriums across the country, and crowds were going wild for her if you read the newspaper reviews of her concerts in that period they almost defy belief she's always enchanting and the crowd is always giving her thunderous applause one review from the period that i found carried the headline odetta captivates audience makes you glad to be alive so she really had them eating out of the palm of her hand and she was the most inspiring figure in folk music at the time and so When someone like Joan Baez came along, she was cutting her teeth on songs from Odetta's first records. And Bob Dylan, too. His early repertoire included a number of Odetta's songs, including No More Auction Block, whose melody he would later borrow to make into his classic Blown in the Wind. So she often, you know, she came first, and people often assumed it was maybe they came at the same time or she came later, but. As she later said, I'm the mama and they're the babies.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was listening to her discography while I was reading the book, which was just delightful. And God's Gonna Cut You Down came on this like beautiful acapella rendition of the folk song. And my roommate was like, is this Johnny Cash? Is this a cover of the Johnny Cash song? Um, (laughs) Johnny Cash did a version of the song 50 years after Odetta did. And now, you know. A lot of songs that she sort of pioneered in musical tradition now have other artists' names or influences attached to them.
1: You know, it's it's not unusual. There's a long history of Black artists who never attained the commercial success or got the recognition of the white artists, usually, who followed in their footsteps. And Odetta certainly fits into that tradition, unfortunately. Uh, you know, certainly people like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez were always very direct about her influence when they were asked. You know, they, they said it was Odetta who got me started. But after a while, you know, people stopped asking.
0: I think it's really hard to talk about Odetta without first painting a picture of the era in which she reigned. She performed at the 1963 March on Washington. MLK himself called her the queen of American folk music. And folk music at the time was just so inherently political. So how did that scene and the civil rights movement overlap?
1: Well, one of the interesting historical alignments, if you will, that happened is that the civil rights movement and the, the folk revival peaked at the same moment in time. And so folk songs were very much a part of the movement. Um, activists down south were singing songs like We Shall Overcome and Got My Mind on Freedom. Often changing the lyrics to suit the occasion. Um, and then you had the civil rights organizations, particularly Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference, who were trying to raise money and consciousness in the North to keep the protests going. And that's where Odetta came in. As she later said, they heard about this woman with the nappy hair who was talking about Black history and singing about Black history. And they asked her to perform at rallies and at fundraisers. And pretty much you can go down the list of the major civil rights marches and events that happened in that era. And there's Odetta singing her songs proudly.
0: That word, proudly, is just so central to Odetta because everything about her, from her songs, to her clothes, to her hair, shouted absolute black pride in who she was.
1: Well. As she later said, you know, when she made the decision to stop straightening her hair and wear it in an afro, what would come to be called an afro, she was making a very profound political statement. She was saying that I'm beautiful just as nature made me, and I'm no longer willing to live by white definitions of what it means to be black. And she took that out on stage when she was performing. Her songs, you know, when she was singing chain gang songs and old black spirituals, and she was standing up there with her Afro taking such pride in her heritage. I think that that was sending a tremendous statement about black pride to audiences, mostly white audiences in the North, that were at that moment really just becoming aware of the civil rights movement that was flowering across the South. And I think that they really wanted to embrace this beautiful young woman who was taking such pride in her race and who was so very talented. And it was that talent that uh, made it very easy for them to embrace her. But it was very much a part of Odetta's identity from the beginning. She wanted people to accept her not only as a great singer, but as a black American.
0: Yeah, and how she got there from such a difficult childhood seems so central to how she became who she was as a folk singer, as a person, as a political figure. She talks about experiencing uh, wounds in her childhood. What were those painful moments for her?
1: Well, she was born in Birmingham, Alabama, during the Great Depression, And life was very hard, as you could imagine. Birmingham was a steel town, and uh, when the life was sucked out of the economy, all the steel mills went down, and thousands of people were thrown out of work and made destitute. And life for African Americans was even harder. The Ku Klux Klan was marching through the streets in full regalia, and segregation was brutally enforced. Odetta only lived in Birmingham for the first six years of her life, but she later remembered the colored drinking fountains, the colored toilets, the colored sections of the movie theater, which she said were early slaps at her dignity. Uh, The family moved to Los Angeles. Uh, on On the way there, they were in a train, and they were at a station, and the conductor came on and told them they had to move to a Jim Crow car. This was usually the baggage car where all the black, uh, riders had to go. And Odetta later talked about that being one of her first wounds. You know, she was just this little girl who didn't understand why she was unworthy of being in the car with, with all the white passengers. When they got to Los Angeles, the racism was more subtle, but in some ways no less debilitating for Odetta. She and her younger sister knew what streets and neighborhoods they couldn't enter, even if there were no signs posted. And in school, the history textbooks depicted slavery in an incomprehensibly positive light with benevolent masters and enslaved people who were singing and dancing when they weren't out in the fields. And on top of all that, just a few miles away from where Odetta and her family lived in East Hollywood... The Hollywood studios were busy spitting out black stereotype after black stereotype of Mammies and Uncle Toms and Step and Fetch it style ne'er-do-wells. And all these things Odetta later said left her feeling deeply ashamed and angry. And by the time she was a teenager, she said she hated everyone, including herself.
0: So when did she start turning that anger into an external force. I mean, not to be cliche about it, but when did she start finding her voice, literally and politically?
1: Well, she trained to be an opera singer. Like a lot of African Americans then, the, they felt that the road to success was paved with adopting white ways. And one of those ways was in studying European styles of music. So her mother got her the piano lessons and got her the voice lessons, and she studied. Classical voice, but she knew that uh, an opera career was not possible for her then. She her idol was Marian Anderson, and who had one of the greatest voices of the century, and and she still was not allowed to perform at the Metropolitan Opera in New York because of her race. So Odetta wasn't even really thinking in terms of a music career. She got into uh, she won a part in the chorus of a traveling Broadway musical called Finian's Rainbow. And when it was up in San Francisco, she was about 21 at the time. Folk music was just starting to bubble up. Uh, Pete Seeger and the Weavers had scored a hit the previous year with the old ballad, "Goodnight Irene. And Odetta went to a party one night and some people were sitting around with guitars and banjos singing folk songs. And she said that those songs spoke to her anger and shame the way classical music never could. So she, when she went back to Los Angeles, she got herself a guitar and started learning folk songs. And not only that, she started learning the history behind the music. You know, she would obtain recordings made by the Library of Congress of uh, prison and chain gang laborers singing. And she would kind of research the history behind the songs and learning about the black history behind this music. Gave her pride, she said, and she was able to start singing with some pride and, and sing out her hate as well, which was welling up inside her.
0: So many of the songs that she was singing and resurrecting from the historical record in a way were simultaneously resurrecting this um, suppressed Black history, really. Um, what were some of the songs and what were the stories that they were telling that she you know, wasn't learning about from school books?
1: Well, she was taking songs like John Henry which was a song about a railroad worker who was not going to give in to the uh the whims of his overseer let's say uh you know she was singing songs about chain gangs you know these were things that white Americans especially were not learning about in school in fact the, you know the those history textbooks that i mentioned they basically other than saying that the slaves were happy and singing, they kind of left out anything that African-Americans had done in the past 200 years to contribute to the success of the nation. So by simply singing black songs, black spirituals uh, that spoke to the African-American experience and talking about what was behind the songs, if she was singing No More Auction Block, which was a slave song. She might talk a little bit about slavery. Um, And it might seem almost uh, mundane today to talk about slavery a little bit, but back then people weren't talking about those things. And here was this woman who was singing from the stage. She was wearing her hair in an afro, taking the heritage and and just putting it out there and, and taking pride in it, which no one was doing at the time.
0: This seems like a good time to ask the question that my boyfriend insisted I ask you as soon as he learned that I was going to interview Odetta's biographer. Okay. But he's the one who introduced me to Odetta, which made me want to interview you. So I feel like I owe it to him to ask what you thought about her rendition of The Battle Hymn of the Republic.
1: Well, I think it's great. I mean, you know, Odetta chose her songs very, very carefully. With every song that she selected, she was trying to make a statement during that time. And for her to choose a song that was an apocalyptic Civil War song, you know, there's no doubt that she was trying to send a statement. And that statement was that, hey, folks, the the Civil War was a long time ago, but these issues that were fought about then, they're still an issue now, and we need to start to think about them a little more seriously. Uh, And she did that with her chain gang songs, with her, Civil War songs, her slave songs, her spirituals. She was all about sending a political message with her choices.
0: Like every fiber of what she was doing seemed to be a political statement. Um, And I thought it was really fitting to learn that one of her first folk gigs was singing for the International Ladies Garment Workers Union in LA. How did she get pulled into the political scene? Um, You know, it's one thing to be performing at small clubs in San Francisco or LA. How did she get yanked into the progressive spotlight?
1: Well, it was almost impossible at that time if you were a young folk singer to not intersect with the progressive movement. They were just so intertwined at the time, the politics and the music. And so when she got involved in singing in Los Angeles, it was perfectly natural for her and some of her friends to sing in front of these progressive groups, you know, the they were trying to inspire their members and folk music has a way of inspiring people. And I think the two, you know, the folk music movement and the progressive movement just kind of found each other and found that it would be mutually beneficial to uh, connect. Um, you know, the, the singers were looking for gigs. They were looking to kind of get their chops in place and perform in front of anyone who wanted to listen. And the the unions and the peace activists and groups like that were were looking to promote their agendas. And the, the two groups just found one another that way.
0: I was gratified to learn that she did sort of have you know, get the recognition and the second renaissance that she deserved later in life when she turned towards recording blues music. And she was honored toward the end of her life by President Clinton, the Library of Congress. There were some historic tributes to her legacy from musical associations at the end of her career, which you point out is kind of ironic, right?
1: Yeah, it... It was ironically the blues that resurrected her career. She had tried to record a couple of blues records during her peak in the early 1960s, but they were mostly panned by critics and rejected by her folk fans. Uh, At the time, she was trying to emulate her idol Bessie Smith and some of the other pre-war blues queens, but her blues singing lacked a certain emotional quality that one expects from great blues. But fast forward toward the end of her career, and Odetta had changed a lot. Her voice had coarsened with age. She was no longer enthralled to her opera training, and she was no longer trying to imitate Bessie Smith, so the songs came out as all Odetta's. So when she released Blues Everywhere I Go in 1999, it was very well received. Suddenly offers poured in from all over and to play at big venues and uh festivals and she retired her guitar and hired a piano player and went out on the road as a blues siren she even got the first grammy nomination of her career which reduced her to tears so it was nice that she was able to enjoy that that renaissance after many years in the musical wilderness
0: so where should people start with Odetta's music, um, if this is their first introduction to her and, you know, if they want to get a full picture of the woman and her life and her music.
1: Well, I would start with Odetta's first two records that came out on Tradition Records originally, and that was Odetta Sings Ballads and Blues and Odetta at the Gate of Horn. Uh, Those show Odetta at her... You know, when when everything was new and she was really at her most exciting, she really never made a bad record, but but if I had to start somewhere, it would be there. Uh, You could also start with one of her live records, uh, Odetta at Carnegie Hall or Odetta at Town Hall, to start to get a sense of the incredible impact that she was having on audiences in that era. And if you can track it down, you know, have a listen to her, the one rock record she made, Odetta Sings.
0: We have links in the show notes both to Ian Zack's new book, Odetta, A Life in Music and Protest, as well as the albums he recommends starting with, though honestly, they are all good. I'm going to close with a little clip of one of my favorites, At the Gallows Poll, off her album Odetta at the Gate of Horn. It's a centuries-old folk song about a condemned woman begging for someone to buy her freedom from the executioner. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care, stay sharp, and listen to Odetta. Hangman, hangman, slack your rope, slack it for a while Think I see my father coming, riding many miles Did you bring me soup? Mama, did you bring me gold? Did you come to see me hanging
1: by the gallows?
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen